Hello, my friends. Thanks for joining us today. I uh, take you through a video from Angela Merkel, which I found a little bit scary. Uh, probably made a little bit scarier by the fact that she was saying it in German while pounding a desk with her hand. Um, she was talking about removing our, not our civil liberties, but German civil liberties, saying that freedom requires you to be less free. I didn't quite understand it, so instead of trying to describe it, I'll show it to you. I'll play the video for you now. The thing is, you're listening on a podcast, and that's fine. Actually, it won't work now that I realize it, because we have a, an on-screen translation. We translate her German into English. I think you'll get the gist of it, so please listen to the show. You'll get it, because I explain it. But this is one of those instances where I really think having a video version of the podcast is better. Um, and you can get that for 8 bucks a month by going to premium rebelnews.com. So please listen to the podcast. You will understand it because I explain it. But I think you got to see her pound in the desk and you got to see the translation uh, simultaneously. And you can get that at premium.rebelnews.com. Okay, here's the podcast. Tonight, Angela Merkel says that for society to remain free, it must oppose freedom? What does that mean? It's November 29th, and this is The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. I saw this video clip of a speech by Angela Merkel, the Chancellor of Germany. It's almost two minutes long, but I, I want to show it to you. Can I, can I give you a few thoughts before you watch it, though? It involves some rhetorical trickery, deliberately muddy wording. Listen to what she says, and as she says it, imagine what you would think if this were said by, say, I don't know, Vladimir Putin of Russia or Nicolas Maduro of Venezuela or maybe some... Chinese foreign affairs spokesman, the word tricks to hide what she's really doing. Second, and I'm sorry, I just couldn't help thinking of this myself, look at the arm pounding a bit. I mean, this is Adolf Hitler, and I'm obviously not comparing Merkel to Hitler. That's not fair. She's not a Nazi, obviously. I'm not saying that, but shouting and banging a podium, arms like this, like that. Watch her do that. I'm sorry. There was something in how she delivered these remarks that made me think of that. Maybe that's mean, but that, that's what my mind did. Someone pounding a podium, shouting in German, while saying that for the good of society, we have to restrict freedom. I'm sorry, that's where my mind went. Okay, without further preliminaries, here's her remarks. Meinungsfreiheit in unserem Land is gegeben. Und all die, die dauernd behaupten, sie dürfen nicht mehr ihre Meinung sagen, denen muss sie einfach sagen, wer seine Meinung sagt. Und wenn sie pronunziert ist, der muss damit leben, dass es Widerspruch gibt. Es gibt keine Meinungsfreiheit zum Nulltarif, dass alle zustimmen. Aber die Meinungsfreiheit kennt Grenzen. Und die beginnen da, wo gehetzt wird, da, wo Hass verbreitet wird. Die beginnen da, wo die Würde anderer Menschen verletzt wird. Und dagegen werden und müssen wir uns 
Stellen in diesem Hause. Und das werden wir auch hinbekommen, meine Damen und Herren. Denn sonst ist diese Gesellschaft nicht mehr das, was sie wollen. Now, she starts by saying that people who express an opinion must live with being contradicted. Yeah, that's called a debate, a free society. Just That's what a conversation is. Except that she seems to believe her opinions, at least about controversial subjects, like her open borders mass migration policy, should not be contradicted. She says that free speech will end in, uh, if, uh, in Germany if feelings are involved. If she feels that you have the wrong feelings, if she feels that you were spreading an emotion of hate, and if she feels that someone else has their feelings or dignity hurt. So it's all about feelings. You might not speak your speech with those feelings of hate, but if someone else feels them when they hear you, you're in trouble. That's how feelings laws work. And of course, how someone feels isn't within your control. Different things offend each of us, but part of being a grown-up is to control our emotional reaction to things not to lash out at people who make a political point we disagree with and then insist on silencing them. I mean, didn't Merkel just say we have to live with our ideas being contradicted unless someone's feelings are hurt and she's going to decide whose feelings are hurt legally and whose feelings will be protected legally? There's no such thing as a human right not to be offended. There's actually a human right to offend. It's called freedom of speech. It's a counterfeit human right not to be offended. What that really is, is the power to silence someone else. But her last line in that speech, she will oppose free speech in order to protect a free society? What? That's, those words are jumbled together. They don't make sense. In order to protect freedom, we have to destroy freedom. Here, watch the whole thing again. Watch it again. Meinungsfreiheit in unserem Land ist gegeben. Und all die, die dauernd behaupten, sie dürften nicht mehr ihre Meinung sagen, denen muss sie einfach sagen, wer seine Meinung sagt. Und wenn sie prononciert ist, der muss damit leben, dass es Widerspruch gibt. Es gibt keine Meinungsfreiheit zum Nulltarif, dass alle zustimmen. Aber die Meinungsfreiheit kennt Grenzen. Und die beginnen da, wo gehetzt wird, da, wo Hass verbreitet wird. Die beginnen da, wo die Würde anderer Menschen verletzt wird. Und dagegen werden und müssen wir uns stellen in diesem Hause. Und das werden wir auch hinbekommen, meine Damen und Herren. Denn sonst ist diese Gesellschaft nicht mehr das, was sie wollen. Look, Merkel's policies are not just undermining Germany. They're undermining all of Europe. Because Europe has no internal borders. Uh, so by bringing in millions of Muslim migrants to Germany, she's also doing so to every other European country in what's called the Schengen Zone. That's a European zone of more than a dozen countries, I note that Merkel has no children of her own. And I mention that, I think it's relevant. She's in the twilight of her life. She looks tired. She looks like a candle that's sputtering out. She's done. Her line is done. Her nickname is Mutter Merkel, Mother Merkel, because this is so obviously a psychological projection on her part. She will be the mother to millions, even if she is actually the mother to none. It's so strange. She, she hates Germany in a way. She wants to undo it in a way. In that way, she's definitely the opposite of Hitler. And my comparison earlier, my comparison was about the speaking style and the rhetorical trickery. But listen to this again. This is a clip from four years ago. I did a video about Merkel back then where she says Germany is in no position to criticize ISIS. She said this. 
because Germany itself has done bad things in the past, as in her opening borders to anyone, including to ISIS terrorists, opening the borders even to those who hate Germany and the West and freedom. It's, it's actually her own self-hatred, her personal way of making Germany pay a price for past deeds. Look at this. Ich diese Debatte sehr äh, defensiv. Gegen terroristische Gefahren muss man sich wappnen. Und ansonsten ist die europäische Geschichte so reich an so dramatischen und gruseligen Auseinandersetzungen, dass wir sehr vorsichtig sein sollten, uns sofort zu beklagen, wenn woanders was Schlimmes passiert. Wir müssen angehen dagegen, wir müssen versuchen, das zu bekämpfen. Aber wir haben nun überhaupt keinen Grund auch zu größerem Hochmut, muss ich sagen. Das sage ich jetzt als deutsche Bundeskanzlerin. Germany has no leg to stand on. It's haughty arrogance to criticize ISIS. I think, I think she might hate Germany. And, and of course, Merkel has already brought in the most punitive restrictions on free speech and the internet in all of Europe other than Belarus and Putin's Russia. She's already a heavy censor. But let us not think that such government censorship exists only in faraway lands. I see in the news today that Quebec's Court of Appeal has ordered a comedian to pay a huge fine for telling mean jokes about someone. Now, it's true. The jokes were absolutely mean. They were making, someone who was, making fun of someone who was handicapped. That is very mean. He's a disabled boy who became a bit of a celebrity. Um, I'd say he became a public figure, and I mention that because if you're a private person, you're a private person, and, and maybe you have some right not to be picked on by some public person, maybe. But if you enter the public arena as a bit of a celebrity, I think you do open yourself up to public commentary, including unfair commentary, including from comedians. Let me read. A judge on Thursday rejected part of the appeal of a comedian who joked about drowning a disabled boy. Comedian Mike Ward must pay $35,000 to Jeremy Gabriel because of a joke, he told, that shows between 2010 and 2013, the court confirmed. A panel of appellate court judges upheld part of a ruling against Ward handed down in January 2019. Ward has been ordered to pay $42,000, $35,000 to Gabriel, $7,000 to his mother. So this has been going on for nine, almost ten years. He told a joke. Ten years ago, and he's still in court over it? I can assure you the 42 grand in fines he's paying is a sliver of his legal fees. Now, was he mean to this boy who's now a man? Yeah. And it would be understandable if people didn't want to patronize Mike Ward, if comedy clubs didn't want to let him perform anymore because ten years ago he told a mean joke. Can you imagine running a comedy club if that was how you, you vetted your talent? I get it if a radio or TV station didn't want to invite him on anymore. But could you imagine if that was the test? You made a joke back in 2010. Okay, whatever. But the government adjudicating jokes? As we said yesterday about Sasha Baron Cohen, is a racist joke still allowed if it's funny? Or is the rule only a person of that race gets to make a joke even if it's not funny? Because there are disabled comedians who make fun of their own disabilities all the time. Is, is that okay? Or is the rule that no disability jokes are allowed at all? How about we each get to make up our own minds about that? Of course, here in Canada, we here at the Rapple are often in the crosshairs of censors ourselves. As you know, we spent six months fighting against an illegal investigation of Sheila Gunn-Reed and her book Stop Notley by this guy, Lauren Gibson. Rachel Notley's hand-picked 
elections commissioner. There are so many media party stories about how outrageous it is that Jason Kenney just fired Gibson. What an assault on the rule of law that was. I haven't seen a single such story refer to him hiring private investigators to hunt Sheila Gunn-Reed for six months over her book. Just a reminder on that, they demanded to see Sheila's editorial notes for her book. Here, here's proof. The area that I can't stick off yet is just the, the part about the planning of when it was to be made available. And I'm going to see that through things like, you know, uh, either a contract or some type of briefing note or, you know, a schedule or, you know, you know, emails or something like that saying, yeah, this is, you know, this is when I'm starting the board, even a statement from you. This is when I've... This is when I started writing the book. You know, this is when, you know, it was planned to be, you know, the season or whatever, when we were thinking of releasing the book, whatever. That's an audio recording of one of the ex-cops hired as a private investigator to go after Sheila. And this same ex-cop, Branders his name, warned Sheila that if she did not give up her emails and editorial notes, she would face, quote, severe consequences. Yeah, I mean, we have that, Sheila, where people don't cooperate and then they get, you know, they get obstruction. You know, the, the offense for obstruction is, can be pretty severe. Um, you know, there's, we, you know, I hope we'd rather it not come to that. I think it's something that we can be cleared up pretty, pretty easily. As you may know, we spent tens of thousands of dollars on lawyers fighting these thugs. And when they finally dropped their case last month, Gibson had the temerity to say that Sheila was lucky. Fortunately for Sheila Gunn-Reed, my office is only able to enforce the legislation as it is currently written. <laughs> he wanted the power to abuse her even further. Now, yesterday, Notley had the chutzpah to ask Jason Kenney about Gibson being fired. And here's the question and the answer in question period. Appear to understand what it is I am talking about. Yesterday, justice lawyers told the court that the government is going to rewrite these laws, likely to the satisfaction of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, as well as other corporate, foreign-funded third parties supporting them. You know, this government claims to be fighting against foreign-funded interests, just apparently not the ones who support this premier. Premier. Why do you support foreign-funded interests that support only you? The Premier! Mr. Speaker, uh, not only will they, have they not read the platform, they refuse to listen to the answer, which is that we will act for the first time in Alberta political history to make it illegal for foreign interests to, to interfere in our politics by contributing to the so-called political action committees that the NDP created in their legislation. There are other, other issues before the court uh, dealing with the constitutionally protected freedom of expression. For example, we don't believe people should be prosecuted for publishing books, Mr. Speaker, and we'll stand with charter rights uh, for freedom of expression. So yeah, that's a reference to Sheila's book, and I'm glad Lauren Gibson is gone, and I'm glad Jason Kenney knows about that book investigation, and I'm glad that Jason Kenney implied, at least, that the law under which Sheila was investigated was unconstitutional. Okay, good, but hang on. Jason Kenney's own justice minister, a red Tory named... Doug Schweitzer, he's actually still fighting us in court, insisting that that law is, in fact, constitutional. 
Lauren Gibson is gone, but Doug Schweitzer is still fighting Gibson's old battles for him, including fighting against us on this law. We say it's unconstitutional. Doug Schweitzer's taking us to court saying, no, it is constitutional. Yeah. So that Angela Merkel, eh? What a threat she is, eh? Hmm. It's true. But maybe we can strengthen our own freedom of speech here in Canada, too? Stay with us for more. was footage from Toronto's York University. A Jewish students group had brought speakers from Israel. They were part of the Israel Defense Forces, but it's mandatory conscription there, and some people do their service by traveling around the world, making a good impression for Israel. They were visiting the Jewish students, but that was deemed unacceptable by radical groups at York, which are very numerous. And so what started as a protest turned into Almost a mini-riot. Fisticuffs broke out, but perhaps more shockingly than just a tussle, chants of back to the ovens and other clearly anti-Semitic, I don't know if I would say the phrase threats of violence, but certainly calls for hatred and even death to Jews in general. Joining us now in studio to talk about this is our friend Tarek Fatah, who has written about this mini-riot in the Toronto Sun. Tarek, it's great to see you here. Thanks good for Good to see here. you. It's been a while since we've seen you. You're always fighting the good fight. I enjoyed your article in the Toronto Sun. What do you think we should make of this tussle? Like student politics, I like rambunctious politics, but did this go too far? I think what the West is missing in its approach to uh, anti-Semitism is the language. Anti-Semitism has its roots in Europe the centuries of Christian teaching about Jews, uh, which does not apply in the case of uh, anti-Semitism, if you use the word, that gets generated by, say, people with backgrounds in Pakistan, Iran, or Turkey. Yeah, obviously they're not, there's not a Christian, I mean, they're... they're it is religious. I would say that... Uh, Christianity, at least that I know in the 21st century, is overwhelmingly pro-Semitic, pro-Jewish. Well, that's a result that's of the Second World War. Right. But, Th that's but, the outcome, the positive outcome mm -hmm. of a sacrifice made by close to 50, 60 million people. Now, in Pakistan, obviously, that's a country that's more than 90% Muslim. Yes. So obviously, they're not being guided by any Christian interpretation. Is that a no. Muslim hatred? Yes. Is it a political hatred? What's the source of it in Pakistan? Its source is a term called Yehud Hanud, the Jew and the Hindu. And the essence of Pakistan's formation was its destiny as guided by Sharia law to wipe out Hinduism from the face of this earth. And of course, we can't do that without eliminating the Jews. And so uh, the whole theory about the resurrection of Jesus Christ coming to Jerusalem, sending an army to destroy all the Christians of Europe, and sending one detachment to India. So it's, this is not a joke. Really? This so how, how, lo how long or how old is the Islamic uh, war against 
India. Does that go back centuries? Of course, like seventh, seventh century. Is, is that old? We've is been it? invading uh, India uh, since the year 711, when the Berbers entered Spain at the same time, of which Gibraltar is the name, Jabal al-Tariq, Tariq bin Ziyad, uh, the Berber uh, general who entered Spain and then didn't, the, 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 in fact, uh, the final uh, uh, liberation, if I would say, of uh, Spain took place in the 1492. Four, yeah, 1492. Yeah. But India's uh, uh, first attack on India was by an Arab general, a 17-year-old guy, who came to get hold of the descendants of the Prophet's family who found refuge in India. Hmm. Wow. So, uh, so the, the, India as itself uh, uh, also tries to hide this fact hmm. because that is now Pakistan. So let's bring that back to Toronto in 2019. You know, I, I learned so much about Islam from you, but also you're big in India. We've shown our folks before that you have television shows in India that have many, many millions of viewers. We can't even imagine. I mean, India is a country of more than a billion yes. people, and you speak bluntly about these things. I, I simply state that there are two Islams. One is Allah's Islam, and the other is Mullah's Islam. We as Muslims have to make a choice. And Allah, of course, is the Muslim God, and Mullahs Mullah, are like the... Mullah is the people who generated Sharia law. For mm. example, the Quran doesn't state anywhere that uh, um, Muhammad slaughtered 700 Jews. There is no Jewish source to that story. But 150 years after Muhammad's death, to generate attack and hatred against Jews, a story was developed that Muhammad himself killed Jews, therefore it is a duty to kill Jews. Mm. I, I, you know, I'm not a master of the Quran. I assume that that story was in the original work. No, 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 it's not there. For example, 17 times a day, Muslims go to pray, and uh, a prayer includes Surah Fatiha. This is the first page of the Quran as it is collated today. It wasn't as such in the early days. And it says that God show me the straight path, not the path of those you have uh, rejected or cursed, nor those who have been led astray. This could be pedophiles, this could be murderers, this could be smugglers or wife beaters, you could attach anything to it. Right. But a hundred years after the Quran was revealed, some guy said, aha, so who are these guys that God has cursed? And of course you had a mullah who said, oh, who else but the Jews? Hmm. So every Quran today, every sermon in Canada, 17 times a day, addresses and says, show me the right path, not the path on which God you have cursed or, or you have showered your wrath on them who are the Jews. Hmm. Now, if you cannot combat that, you can't combat Jew hatred as against anti-Semitism. Well, here's the thing. I mean, it was quite shocking to see this scuffle and to have it overlaid with these anti-Semitic phrases. But I looked at political leaders who, if the shoe were on the other foot, if, I mean, I, can't, I don't even think it's ever happened that there's been an anti-Muslim riot in Canada. I don't think that's ever happened. But if, God forbid, it were to happen, Justin Trudeau, John Tory, Doug Ford, every media would, that's all they would talk about. Here they quickly, I mean, they said, oh, we don't like this, but they wouldn't name the problem. They wouldn't name it, uh, would they? 
of the three, two of them explicitly condemned anti-Semitism, the mayor. However, between Trudeau and Tory is hypocrisy mm. because Mr. Trudeau, Prime Minister Trudeau himself, has participated in the prayers in which the Imam has said, oh God, show us the right path, not the path in which Jews have been cursed. Mm. And Mayor Tory is guided by the same mullahs who do this. So he mm. has visited, visited mosques, has associated with uh, radical imams. I mean, you know, I hosted a show with him and he would never believe me when I would say, this is disaster mm. because a religious scholar who's saying that no, 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 he has nothing to do anything wrong with, with Jews, he's lying because here's the text. Mm -hmm. And the call to prayer in City Hall, in, in the prayers in which Jews are cursed, was done in City Hall right. under the mayorship of his worship, John Tory. Mm. So that's why I, I say both of them are being hypocritical. Yeah. You cannot be against anti-Semitism while tolerating it if it came from a non-traditional source. They always focus on anti-Semitism as if it comes from white supremacists or KKK or white nationalists or whatever is the current term for that. They will never, ever, for even dare to say for a minute that called the Imams and said, well, obviously it's not the Quran. Why don't you say mm -hmm. explicitly mm -hmm. that this doesn't refer to Jews? You know, when I grew up uh, west of Calgary and, you know, in the 70s and 80s, and I went to a country school. And there were, I remember there were 400 kids in the school. My sister and I were the only two Jews. There were two black kids who were adopted and two Chinese kids. And that's it, in a school of 400 country folks. Um, and you would think, oh my God, that must have been terrible. The opposite, Tarek. Mm -hmm. It was friendly all the time. At most, it was, can you explain your holiday? Yeah. In fact, it, it made me have to be on my toes because everyone was always saying, well, what's the Jewish version of this or that? Like, I had to, I had to know my answers because they were, I was the only Jew they met. My point is, I never experienced anti-Semitism. Growing up in, in uh, outside of Calgary, southern Alberta, rednecks, I never saw that. I went to the university, uh, to university in, in the 80s and early 90s, and it really wasn't that way. This harsh, physical, brutal anti-Semitism. This is new. It is new, and you, it's and, not, and, and it's not said, old stock Canadian. No, no, it no. Uh, let me tell you one thing. Canada. Even the Jewish community is not equipped to understand what's happening. Well, the, or they refuse to. I to think see. I would give them benefit of doubt because there are no courses in Islamic theology in Israel or any Jewish school yeah. or at any Jewish university. So what's happening is that Western society evolved after the Second World War as understanding that human civilization can never, ever, ever use race to eliminate a people. It's never again. However, a large segment of the population that was under colonial rule, whether they were Egypt or whether, well, to a certain degree, Turkey at that time was not that bad. Turkey, in fact, during the caliphate, opened its doors to Jews that were expelled from Spain. This is primarily, and I wouldn't even say Arab, it is coming from 
the Indian subcontinent, which is the only Muslims who refuse to acknowledge their own heritage. In Iran, everybody celebrates Nowruz, which is a Zoroastrian festival of the New Year. In Turkey, you have Turkish names. You know, mm -hmm. as much as I hate Erdogan, he's at least using a Turkish word for his name. Mm -hmm. In Indonesia, the grandson of the president is called Narinder, which is uh, Indian prime minister's name. Everybody's comfortable except Muslims of the Indian Pakistani subcontinent who refuse to ever name their children after Indian names. Mm -hmm. They take Tamerlane's name. Right. The worst killer in all of all time. Of all history. He, of all history. He, the world population dropped by 3% as a result of that. Yeah. You have Tamur as a name. Yeah, he was one of the Tsarnia brothers, was named yeah. Tamerlane Tsarnia. Yeah. Number two, why did my father name me Tariq? And my brother is Mahmud. Tariq is actually a Sanskrit word, Tarak, which is root word to star, uh, sitara. All these words are Sanskrit words. However, in his mind, Tariq was the man who invaded Spain. So I am Tariq. My brother's name is Mahmoud. That's the guy who butchered India. Hmm. Wow. So we, we have a situation where we've created a country of now about 200 million people who have no identity of their own. They've outlet their own mother tongue and adopted in a hierarchy of languages, Urdu considered Islamic butchered their own people in Bengal and uh, Balochistan, and now are the main suppliers of international terror. Hmm. And the West can only see Iran in it. Yeah. The Iranian people will overthrow the imams. In right. Pakistan, it's going to be the other way around, because the people are indoctrinated into believing that the, it is a religious duty hmm. to eliminate Hindus and obliterate Jews. Wow. That's very depressing because I know Pakistan remains a large source of migrants to Canada, and especially to universities. And I, I mean, I think it's... Most of the Islamic groups, the NCCM, Pakistani, ICNA, Pakistani, MSA, Pakistani. These are all the different Muslim lobby groups here in Canada. In Canada, yeah. you think, you, have you ever run into a Turk or a Kurdish fellow or an Iranian uh, uh, against any? any? No, they, they, mm. I was with the Iranian demonstration outside the, uh, the anti-Mullah. Uh, rallies that took place at North York at the mm -hmm. Mel Lastman Center. 100% mm -hmm. of them are sick and tired of the Ayatollahs. Yeah. And there was no Muslim organization to support right. them. Well, I tell you, you've, you've made me a little bit more depressed. Don't be depressed. <laughs> I am depressed. No, you bit. cannot be because the future is ours. Mm. That's, oh, that's oh. being a Marxist well, in me. Demographically See, speaking, uh, they're growing. Politically speaking, they're growing. How can the future be ours when it looks like it's theirs? It's critical mass, reaching critical mass. I've been working on trying to open eyes for the last 50 years. I don't look for results. I believe in the Hindu book, Gita, that says, never have expectations. <laughs> I, no, guess, no. I guess you won't be disappointed. No, no, I, I, don't ha I don't have the right to, be, to expect any result of what I do. Hmm. And there are countless people like me doing it. These people in Iran, 400 shot dead. Today in South Iraq, 40 killed in one day. They're, all, they're giving their lives for this. Yeah. What are we doing? We are taking our mayors and prime ministers into mosques and uh, positioning them as holy men. Hmm. Why would holy men wear uh, long frocks? 
Why do you have to wear something to look holy? If you're holy, you're holy. You do nice things. Yeah. You clear the neighbor's snow. I'd like the mayor's mullahs to clear my snow. Then I'd believe that he's a Muslim. <laughs> because my definition of Muslim is someone who clears the neighbor's snow. Hmm. That's very simple. The rest is all, uh, you know, too medieval for me to f follow. Because I know that horses don't fly, fires don't speak, and monkeys don't have heads cut off from somebody else. Let people be religious if they want to, they rely to. But we can't bring religion into politics. Hmm. Well, you're one of my favorite people, and I oh, love how you fight. I, I love you fighting hard. Uh, you told me as you came in, you just had a big milestone birthday. I couldn't believe when you said 70. you were 70, because you got the energy ah, of a 50-year-old, that's for sure. No, you got a fighting spirit, and you got a great, you're a happy warrior. I am. Say, no which regrets. is one of the reasons why we love you. Thank Good you, my to see friend. You. Yeah, thanks a lot. All right, there you Thank have you. it. One of our favorite people, Tarek Fada, whose column runs in the Toronto Sun, and we're very glad that it does. He's also pretty big in India. His TV show, Fata Kafatwa, if I'm saying that right, <laughs> has absolutely millions of views. In some ways, he's probably the most popular Canadian outside of our own shores. Stay with us. More Head on the Rebel. Welcome back on my monologue yesterday about Sasha Baron Cohen. Sam writes, so Borat is telling us how to think now. Well, listen, it's like what I said about, uh, about that Quebec comedian, Mike Ward, I think is his name. I happen to think Sasha Baron Cohen is pretty funny most of the time. And I laugh at some of his jokes that are the most cringy, including the anti-Semitic jokes. And maybe I can laugh about it because I know he's Jewish and I think they're actually really rip-snortingly funny. It's just a bit of chutzpah for him to now be the joke police when he broke more joke laws than anyone else I know. Brendan writes, This guy literally made millions defaming people, including the entire country of Kazakhstan. He played a character who sang a song about throwing Jews down the well, which encouraged millions of people around the world to joke about anti-Semitism. Why is the left always this hypocritical? Yeah, and it's not just him, Sarah Silverman. Um, it's, it's very rare a comedian who gets big and rich who stays edgy uh, mostly they they just it's all about the Benjamins it's all about the money it's all about the endorsements and they would never they would never be that way I will give credit to Bill Maher um, on that HBO show because he actually is a free speech absolutist even though he's very wealthy and successful but you can seriously count people like that on one finger's hands one hand's fingers on my interview with Andrew Lawton about increasing the carbon tax Dave writes what climate crisis? Yeah, exactly. Um, as I said the other day, even if you accept the UN's numbers, which I don't, and even if you accept that a warming Earth is bad, and I don't, the UN says even if we do all the things that the countries have promised to do under the Paris Accords, and even if we do more, it won't stop global warming from happening. Over the course of the next 80 years, instead of raising by 3.2 degrees Celsius, it'll raise by 3.0 degrees Celsius. That's really no difference at all. It's not even measurable on a thermometer, um, but it'll cost several trillion dollars a year. That's a lie. On the topic of Alberta separation, Steve writes, no one in Ontario takes Alberta separation seriously, even my own relatives. What if we could get Donald Trump to publicly state a province of Canada was asking if they could join America? It surely would spark immediate action rather than the slow, painful path we are on. What do you think? 
I absolutely think that. And we had two Wexit town hall meetings in Alberta a week or two ago. And in both places, I said, look, Quebec had Charles de Gaulle. Remember, he came to Quebec and said, vive Quebec, vive Quebec Libre, and that sort of lit a flame in Quebec because there was endorsement of Quebec as a French place and a foreign leader who was well regarded. If Trump were even just to tweet about it, just in the manner that he tweeted about Greenland, remember? Oh, that would get things moving in Canada too, that's for sure. Well, folks, that's the show for today. I'm actually headed to Calgary for the UCP convention. That's the United Conservative Party. Uh, Jason Kenney no longer has a fatwa against uh, rebel reporters. We are now allowed in. So we're going to have a bunch of us there. Uh, Sheila Gunn-Reed will be there tomorrow. Kim Bexty will be there today. Uh, and so is our new reporter, Abigail Hammond, who's doing just such a great job. And normally I would sign off here. But let me end with a little video that uh, Abigail did on the streets of Toronto. It's about, I don't know, it's more than five minutes long, so you can say goodbye to me now. But I encourage you to stick around. If you haven't seen Abigail's work yet, can I show you? She went downtown Toronto with a map of Canada without the names of the provinces on it, or a blank map, and said to random Torontonians, can you point to where Alberta is? And it's just too good not to share. Here, let me say goodbye to you now, but enjoy Abigail Hammond's video from Toronto. I went to downtown Toronto, to Young and Dundas Square, to ask Torontonians what they know about Alberta in light of Western separatism gaining ground. After all, is it any wonder that some Albertans want to leave Canada when their own countrymen can't even find them on the map? Can you point out where Alberta is on this map? Um, that's Saskatchewan. Mm -hmm. This one. No. I'm not sure, but it's somewhere right here. Can you point out to me where Alberta is on this map? Do you know, you're asking somebody who's not really from here, but I believe it's that one. But yeah, I should know, I was in Edmonton during the week. And can you yes. locate Alberta for me? It's one of these. I know that. St. John's, though. Okay. <laughs> yes, you're correct. Yeah. Alberta. Somewhere around here. Oh my gosh, uh, around here. Oh, right there. Alberta, right there. I, I think it's towards the middle. Okay. Or it's that one. Uh, I'm gonna guess. Here? I'm fairly new here. I'm okay. trying to learn. Can you show me where Alberta is on this map? Yeah, um, it's there. That is Alberta right there. Do you know what the capital of Alberta is? No, not off the top of my head. No clue? Okay. Calgary? Is that wrong? Can you tell me what the capital of Alberta is? Uh, it's Vancouver. Isn't Alberta the capital of Edmonton? Or am I wrong? No, I can't. Um, can you give me choices? White Horse, Winnipeg. Edmonton, Calgary, um, Winnipeg. Can you tell me what the capital is of Alberta? Edmonton. Edmonton. Yeah. Awesome. Saskatchewan. Oh, I couldn't tell you no. Oh shoot, that's a trick question. Is it a Edmonton or would you? I mean, no, Calgary. It would be Calgary. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Uh, Calgary or Edmonton. I'm not sure which one. Um, Edmonton. 
Calgary. I don't mean to sound ignorant about Alberta. I was in Edmonton once. Very nice. People are awesome. Do you know anything about the Albertan people? No. no. Not much, no. <laughs> it's your first visit to Canada? Yeah. And everybody speaks very positively about Alberta. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing. I'm sorry. Um, they were angry this past election with Trudeau. The problem right now is there's a lot of lost jobs because of the kill pipeline projects and because of the carbon tax. So a lot of Albertans are feeling hurt by this and, you know, they want solutions. Do you think they can come to solutions with the Canadian government? If Trudeau's willing to work with them, I know after seeing the results of the past election, he said that he was willing to invest in the people of Alberta. So hopefully he follows through. I've heard a lot of um, stories like that, like my father, his co-workers moving to Alberta, believing like there is a future there. And once they get there, they they find themselves like unemployed, um, you know, high expenses. Do you know anything about the Albertan people? Not too much, no. Legs, okay. it's booming. What do you think they should do in light of the current problems, the loss of jobs due to things like the carbon tax and killed pipeline projects? We should have got sheer. If Albertans wanted to secede from Canada, would you support them? Uh, probably not a great idea, to be honest. Uh, unified country is probably the best way to go. I know they have quite a lot in terms of natural resources, but yeah, probably not a great idea. You know, judging by how Quebec tried and couldn't, Alberta would not be able to. I don't okay. think so. Why would they want to succeed from Canada? Right now, I don't think Trudeau is really willing to work with them. I'm not the biggest fan of Trudeau, though, so I don't know. The government should come compromise with them. And I don't think the threat of seceding is going to move the Canadian government to do anything. Would I support them? It's up to them to make their own decisions, I guess, since I'm a Torontonian. That being said, I wouldn't advise it because why would you isolate yourself right like that in the middle of the country? I would not support that, no. It will leave them economically vul more vulnerable than they might be right now. No. no. Quebec wasn't able to do it, so I... I don't see it. Like, I, I would it be possible? I, you know, I, I mean, we've had that question with Quebec, and I almost think that Quebec has a more valid reason. No, thanks. No, okay. that would never happen. No. no. Do you think they could become the 51st state of the U.S.? I think that would be awful if that was the case. That would be virtually impossible considering who is in power in the U.S. right now. Like Whoopi Goldberg, I don't say his name. <laughs> Probably not. You don't think it could become like the 51st state or something like that? No, but we should take Alaska. You should take Alaska? Should. Really? Yeah. I guess anything's possible.